Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Give the Lord a clap offering. Praise God. And uh, you can be seated. You know, uh, I'm not going to give Dave a long introduction tonight. He's been here several times and he has always blessed us as a church. And uh, I don't know if you have followed him on, some of you have followed him on uh, YouTube and his Revelation teaching. And it's absolutely amazing. I asked him one time, I tried to pick his brain, I said, so, so what do you study? What books do you read? What, how, do you stu- how do you study? And he, and he gave me just a real stern British look, and he said, well, it's in the Bible. Just read the Bible. And I'm like, okay, all right. And, uh, uh, but uh, it's a great honor to have. You know, uh, I knew something was special about him. His wife showed me a picture this week. He was over in Israel, and they were baptizing folks in the Jordan. And there was a lady that showed up that morning at 8 a.m. in a baptismal gown. And she was from where? Uh, Lithuania. Lithuania. And the Lord told her that if she would go down to where they were baptizing and just stand there and, and get a baptismal gown, that a pastor would come and baptize her. She was a new believer. And so Dave and his team that was in Israel showed up, and he baptized her. When he was baptizing her, a dove flew over top of Dave's head, and his wife got a picture of this dove over Dave's head. And I'm thinking, the Jordan where Jesus is baptized, a dove descended from heaven. And, of course, the heavens didn't open up, and God didn't say, this is my son who I'm well pleased. It was just just his wife in the background going, this is my husband who I'm well pleased. And, uh, uh, but it's a great picture. And uh, I thought, man, what an amazing experience. Amen. Would you all put your hands together and welcome Pastor David Jones. <laughs> the dove didn't land on me, by the way. It, uh, it, just, it just flew over my head. And on the photograph, it looks like it's hovering over me, but it wasn't. In fact, some people say it was a pigeon, not a dove. But uh, I'm, I'm going to take that it was a dove. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Um, uh, I, I contacted Pastor Shane. I just wanted to come and see uh, him and Laura because we love being with them. They're very precious to us. Just wanted to hang out with them. And I didn't know you had a Thursday night meeting. I thought your meetings were Wednesday. Most people's uh, is Wednesday. So I thought, I'm okay. I can have a day without preaching. I was preaching last night in a church in Cincinnati, and then he said, that's awesome, you can do our Thursday night Bible study. I was, oh, okay. And so I said, what do you want me to do? He says, do the book of Revelation, end times. I thought, in one Bible study? Uh, we do a end time, we're doing a book of Revelation Bible study in my church back home in England. We do it on Sunday nights, and we're just going through the book of Revelation. Uh, we're now in the fourth year. And we're still nowhere near finished. Um, and each session, if you include the question and answers, can easily last two and a half hours. So for me to try and teach you in an hour or so, everything the Bible says is just not going to be possible. Uh, so I don't even know what I'm going to say. Uh, I just grabbed some bits of paper of what I was talking about in my church. And I thought what I'd do is I'd just try and talk and give you an overview of some things 
that might help us understand how the Bible views the history of the world and especially how the Bible is going to, how the Bible tells us the world is going to come to a climax, to a conclusion, to the fruition of everything the Bible has said the world is heading towards. So if I sort of do that, is that okay? Um, okay, turn with me then to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Book of Revelation chapter 1. And uh, verse 19, I'll, I'll start there. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. So as I'm sure you know, the Apostle John has already... Uh, more or less fulfilled his ministry in many ways. But now Jesus is going to appear to the Apostle John and he's going to show him um, what's going to happen at the end of human history as we know it. And th this is sort of why, this is why we call the book um, Revelation. It comes from the Greek word uh, apocalypse. Uh, the, the Greek word apocalypse actually comes from two Greek words. Apo and Calypto. Apo means to remove. Calypto is the Greek word for veil. And so it means the removal of the veil. The revealing. Revealing. It means that God is showing us the future. He's going to show us what's going to happen. And so the Apostle John has a vision of Jesus Christ. Jesus appears to him. And he says... Write down what's going to happen. And in verse 19, here's what we read. Jesus says to the Apostle John, Write, therefore, what you have seen, past, what is now, present, and what will take place later, future. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So that's how the first chapter of Revelation ends. Uh, Jesus tells John, look, there's three stages. There's past, present, and future. You all know that. That's how we, that's how we divide time. That's how humans make sense of this thing that we call time. There's past, present, and the future. So Jesus says, okay, write down what you have seen. What has John seen up to that time? He has seen Jesus. He's, he's written the gospel of John. He's written the life of Jesus. He's written a, a historical narrative of Jesus from his point of view. So we understand that. We understand history because we can look backwards. He says, right, what is now? What's now happening? We're okay with that. We can sort of understand what's happening now, although it, it takes a while sometimes for, for us to process what's happening to try and make sense of it. By the way, don't read the news. That is not news. That is a political view of what they want you to think. It isn't really what's happening in the world. Let me give you one example. If you were to read the news, they would say Christianity is declining. Christianity is expanding at the fastest rate in human history over the world. That's just a fact. 
Now, our cultural appreciation in certain nations, it may be different, but as a worldwide uh, phenomenon, there are more people believing in Jesus Christ today than at any other point in the last 2,000 years. There are more churches being planted today than at any point in the last 2,000 years. The ratio of Christians to non-believers is much bigger today than at any time, even in the time of the book of Acts or the Bible. There are far more Christians now around compared to unbelievers than there has ever been. And it is not just growing, it is accelerating. The news will not tell you that. They will, they will tell you we are moving towards an atheistic, secular humanism, which is not true. That is just what is being promoted more and more. That's not the truth. So you can't believe the news of what's happening now. And you certainly can't believe the news about what's happening in the future. Because they will tell you whatever they want you to believe to fit their political agenda. So what's happening now, when John's writing, he's writing about the church. And Jesus has just said so, the lampstands of the churches. And so the age we are in, we know what's happened in the past, but the age we are in, the Bible refers to, or uh, tends to uh, reveal to us as what we can call the church age, the age of the Holy Spirit, the, cha- the, the age where the church is growing and Jesus is building his church. That's the age we are in right now. We are in the age where Jesus is building his church and all that that means. But then he says, write what will happen after this or hereafter, I think the King James says. Hereafter. Now that's two Greek words, meta and tauta. After this or after these things. After what things? After the church age. And so the book of Revelation primarily tells us what's going to happen after the church age. Now, so chapter one is the introduction. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, as I'm sure you know, reveals Jesus speaking to seven churches. The seven letters to the seven churches in Asia. And after each letter to each church, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says, not to the church, but to the churches. Plural. In other words, we're all supposed to understand what God was saying to each aspect of the church. Then at the end of the seventh church, we find this statement in chapter 4, verse 1. Let's go there. Chapter 4, verse 1. So you've had that revelation of what John is going to write. Then you have the chapters where God writes to the seven different churches. And then we find this written. Oh, you you have it up there. Oh, that's chapter 1, verse 19. Chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 1. After this. Can you see that? What has Jesus said in chapter 1? Well, after these things, it's the Greek word meta, tauta. What has Jesus said? Write that which was past, that which is now the church age, and that which is metatauta, that which is after the church age. And so in chapter 4, 
we find the after the church age. So the future in Revelation starts here. It doesn't start in chapter 2 or chapter 3. That's the present age. That's the age of the church. And each of the churches represents a different period in the last 2,000 years of church history. And each of the different churches represents a different stage of church life. There's the persecuted church. There's the church that is good. There's the church that has good doctrine but loses its first love. There's the polluted church that mixes all the politics and the world up with the spiritual reality of Christ. There's the church that doesn't know what it's doing. You know any churches like that? <laughs> has a name but it's not even alive. It calls itself this. We've never lived in an age where churches have so many names. You can't even tell what a church is. If you drive down the, the highway and look at a church, what the name is on the church doesn't necessarily represent what the church is, yeah? A live church doesn't mean it's alive. Happy church doesn't mean it's happy. You, you can't tell by the name of the church. You have a name that you live and you're dead. You have the persecuted church, that's, and, and we see that today now more than ever. In many ways. And then you have the final stage of the church. The Laodicean church. What does Jesus say the final stage of the church will be? Self-satisfied. Rich. But doesn't know it's poor. Thinks it's well clothed. But it's actually naked. Thinks it can see. But it's actually blind. And he says I'm standing at the door and knocking. And you're not even letting me in. You're having your church but you're not letting the presence of God into the church. And we can see that around us everywhere. And then it says, after this. After this. What, what's going to happen after the church age? A door is standing open in heaven. And then a voice, which I heard like a trumpet speaking to me, says, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place. And he says it again, just in case we haven't understood it, meta tauta, after this. After what? After the church. So after the church age, there is going to be a shout, there is going to be a trumpet, there is going to be a catching away from earth into heaven at the end of what we call the church age. We can, we can deduce that just from what Jesus has told us in Revelation 1, 2, 3, and 4. So we know, and we know from the other writings in the New Testament, especially Paul's writings to the Thessalonians, that there is going to be a shout, there is going to be a trumpet, and then God is going to catch his people to meet him in the air, forever to be with the Lord, the dead in Christ will rise. We refer to this thing as the resurrection or the rapture. And they are going to be caught up to be with the Lord. That's what's going to happen at the end of the church age. Now the rest of Revelation from chapter 4 onwards, John describes what's happening in heaven and on earth in the final stage of human history. Now, the final stage of human history lasts seven years. Now, we know this very clearly because the Bible talks about it an awful lot. I suppose one of the, one of the um, clearest prophecies 
that this, the final age will last seven years is found in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, if you want to turn there. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. Daniel describes what's going to happen in the final stage of human history. I don't know if we can get it up there or I'll just turn to it. Daniel 9.24. So Daniel is praying about his nation Israel because he knows that their captivity has ended after 70 years. There's that number again. Um, and after this 10 times 7, Israel, God is going to restore his people back to their land. But then the angel Gabriel comes to him. And uh, in Daniel 9, chapter 24, here's what it says. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. So this has not happened yet. Uh, I don't know if we can read down. I'll read it from here. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue till the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Let me just explain what this word seven means here. It's the, it's the Hebrew word shibui. It means seven years. Some translations may say weeks. There, there it says weeks in that translation. Because according to the Bible, a week just means seven. Remember God created the, the heavens and the earth in six days and the seventh, the Shabbat, the Shibui, uh, he rested. God does everything in sevens. God measures human history in sevens. God measures the whole periods of time in sevens. God does everything in multiples of seven. And so there will be seven Churches, because there are seven aspects to the church age. And then there is going to be a final seven, the final seven years of human history. So Daniel is here telling us that there's going to be this final seven. When this, this prince, the ruler of the people who will come, who will destroy the Jewish temple, he will come and he will confirm a covenant with Israel in the, for, the, for a final seven years. But in the middle of the seven in the middle, halfway through, three and a half years, he's going to prove that he was lying about his covenant and he's going to destroy God's temple and God's holy people, the nation of Israel. That's what that prophecy is clearly about. So Daniel understood very clearly that at the end of this period of time, there's going to be a final seven-year period. And the book of Revelation is primarily about that seven-year period. When does that seven-year period start? We don't know. It starts at the end of the church age. When does the church age end? We don't know. But we're just given very clear signs and clues 
about when it's all drawing to a close. Now, the clearest sign that we have, the clearest sign we are given in the Bible, in fact, God always uses this sign to show the nations of the world how he is working. The sign is the nation of Israel. God has to speak to mankind through mankind. Because if God just speaks, no one listens. And so what God does is, he created a people, 2000 uh, BC, through uh, the lineage of Abraham. And God said that through this people, he would reveal himself that he was real. King Frederick the Wise, in the Holy Roman Empire, he once had a physician who he considered very wise. And he said, prove to me that God exists. And his wise physician came back to him the next day and says, I can prove to you in one, two words that God exists. He said, the Jews. The Jews. The Jews are the proof that God exists. Because for 4,000 years, humanity has tried to exterminate them. Tried to destroy them. Tried to annihilate them. And God's original promise at the beginning of the Bible was that I will preserve them to prove to you that my promise to protect my people will prove true. And that's why anti-Semitism doesn't make sense. Why do the nations of the world want to destroy the Jews? Why are the Jews always the, the world headlines, the news headlines of the world? Because Satan plan there is a spiritual attack behind all this and that plan is to destroy the Jewish people or the nation of Israel or the children of Abraham whatever you want to call them that is God's plan and we've seen it in our lifetime you can see it happening tonight I see it in my nation you see it in your nation but the nations of the world have one primary purpose to get rid of the Jews. Because then Satan has won and he has proved that God is a liar. Because Jesus is returning to Israel. Did you know that? The prophecies are very clear. When Jesus returns, he will return back to Jerusalem. Back to the Mount of Olives. And he will be king in Jerusalem. Before Jesus was born, the angel Gabriel came to Jesus and he said, you will be with child. Here's the promise. He will sit on David's throne. Well, David's throne was the, in Jerusalem. That's not the throne in heaven. Jesus is on the throne in heaven now. That's not David's throne. That's his father's throne. Jesus says he's coming to reign on earth. On earth, he will have a geographic place where he will return and that is Jerusalem. So for Jesus to return, there has to be a nation of Israel that exists. There has to be a ge geographic locality of Israel for Jesus to return to. Not only does Israel have to exist, Jerusalem has to be its capital. Or the prophecies are not true. Now the majority of the United Nations resolutions since it was founded after the Second World War have been about one thing. Do you know what that thing is? The majority of their resolutions, they have been against Israel. Now think about that. Now I go to Israel every couple of years. I've just returned 
um, after uh, just two months ago. You know, Israel is tiny. It, it, you almost can't even see it. I mean, it's not as big as Ohio. We, we've driven from one end of Israel, and, you know, in a few hours. It, it's almost non-existent. The Jewish people, the, the, the population of, of Israel is 8 million people. I mean, they are irrelevant on a, on a worldwide scale. They're not, even, they're not even measurable. They're a fraction of a fraction of a percentage. Why is that the thing that United Nations is focused on? Because we are in a spiritual battle and the battle is to prove that the Bible is false and that God is a liar. That is what Satan's ploy is. That is why he wants to destroy the Jews. That's why he wants to destroy the church. That's why he wants to destroy the Bible. His plan is to stop this happening. But it is going to happen. And it's going to happen through patterns of seven. We've just read there in Revelation. We've just read there in Daniel. Now, Daniel said there would be 69 sevens fulfilled. Then there would be a final seven-year period yet to be fulfilled. Did you know Jesus came to the day at the end of Daniel's prophecy in multiples of those years? He walked into Jerusalem on the very day at the end of Daniel's 69 seven-year periods. You can work it out to the day. I'm not going to bore you with the math right now. But if you work it out on calendar years of 365 days from when Daniel gave that prophecy, if you work that out from when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem happened, and we have the date because it's on the Cyrus Cylinder in the British Museum, we've been and seen that, Pastor. You can work out to the day when that prophecy was fulfilled. It was fulfilled on the day Jesus entered Jerusalem and pro proclaimed himself as king. To the day. But there's still seven years to come. You see, there is a gap from when Jesus was rejected by Israel to when Jesus will be accepted by Israel. And Jesus called that gap the times of the Gentiles or the church age where Jesus is gathering all who believe in him before he returns to be the Messiah, the King of Israel, reigning on the throne in Jerusalem. So before he can do that, he's gathering everyone he can from all the nations so they can be saved, so they can belong to him. If you've heard me preach on the bride, the church is the bride of Christ. Because when Jesus returns, he's bringing his bride with him and he's going to reign over the nations of the world. And that's what's going to happen. But it's going to happen at the end of this seven-year period. A period we tend to call the Great Tribulation. The final seven years of human history that Jesus says, if he didn't return and cut that short, no one on earth would survive. It will be a time of horrendous tribulation. And when you read Jesus' prophecies in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Luke chapter 21, Mark chapter 13, he goes into immense detail about what's going to happen during that period. So does the book of Revelation. 19 chapters talking about this horrendous time in human history that hasn't started yet. And there's going to be famines and earthquakes and wars on a scale that's going to annihilate huge percentages of mankind. Up to a third of mankind is going to be wiped out.
by these events, by the wars and the plagues. Entire, at one point, all the cities of the world are going to be destroyed. The, the, the oceans are going to be filled with blood. Everything in the sea is going to die. Talk about global warming. Forget global warming. <laughs> Talks about signs in the sun and the moon and the heavens and things falling out of the sky and hitting the sea and causing immense devastation. Perhaps a meteorite, some people speculate. Who knows? But these things are all going to come to a climax in this seven-year period, which hasn't started yet, but starts at the end of the church age. Now, he gave us some pretty clear signs of which to understand by using these multiples of seven. Everything is in sevens. You've got to understand this when you read the Bible. There are thousands of prophecies that revolve around sevens being fulfilled. Let me give you an example of perhaps to try and understand this. We all know God created the earth in that six, seven, it's seven days, but the seventh day is obviously a day of rest. The Shabbat, the Sheba, the Shibuah. Sheba, Shabbat, Shibuah. It just means seven in Hebrew. And so the first verse of the Bible has seven words in it. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim v'etz ha'aretz. Seven words. God's showing us right from the beginning, everything is going to be created in sevens. And the, the, the Jews knew this, and that's why they always rest on the seventh, because they know God has completed his cycle. There's going to be seven stages of the church age, ending in a very lazy, selfish, rich church that doesn't actually care about God. And we can see that being fulfilled right now. Perhaps that's a sign that we ride at the end of the church age. But the greatest sign is that after the times of the Gentiles, the Jews would be returned back to Israel. So the greatest sign that God has given us that we are at the end of the church age is that the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled and God is going to restore the Jews back to the land. Now, the Jews were formally allowed back into Israel in 1917. It was, un, it was controlled, the Palestinian area at that time, the Middle East, was controlled by the British. British used to control everything, by the way. Just throw that in there. <laughs> yeah. We always get kicked out, but at, le at least, you know, I think there's only three nations in the world we haven't invaded. Um, we always get kicked out, but uh, never mind. And so... The British mandate under a man called Lord Balfour, uh, the, the British forces uh, during the uh, First World War, uh, they invaded Jerusalem, they, they drove out the uh, Islamic Ottoman Turks and controlled Jerusalem, and they issued a mandate throughout all the world. All the Jews can return to Jerusalem. And Britain, the superpower at that time, they enforced it by law. So all Jews could return to Jerusalem, 1917. Almost 2,000 years since they were kicked out by the Romans. So everyone who understood the Bible, their ears should have opened up. They should have ears to hear because that means God is now drawing human history to a close. Now, the prophecy wasn't just that the Jews would return to Israel. 
The prophecies concern Jerusalem and the nation and lots of other things. Now, one thing you need to understand, and I'm sure you grasp this if you've read your, your Bibles, the Jews understand everything works on a seven-fold cycle, seven days, seven years. At the end of seven years, slaves have to be freed because at the end of the seven cycle, God brings liberty and freedom. But then at the end of seven times seven, which is 49 years, they call that the Jubilee. And that means God has a very special thing to announce. And at the end of the Jubilee, he says at the end of seven times seven, everyone has to be sent back home. The slaves have to be freed, but all my people have to be returned to their inheritance. Now, if God said that's what he's going to do, you should be able to follow it in history by logically deducing, has God done that? Well, 1917 is the start of the process. So if we were to believe God was fulfilling prophecy, if we followed the Jubilee cycle, 50 years later, God should up the cycle and return them even more home. Do you know what happened in 1967? 50 years after they were allowed to return, the Jews captured Jerusalem. Jerusalem was controlled again by the Jews. God wasn't just fulfilling his prophecy, he was fulfilling it to the day. So now the Jews weren't just back in the land, now they controlled Jerusalem. Remember the prophecy was the Messiah is going to return to Jerusalem. Now if we're fulfilling that prophecy, something should have happened in December 2017. To up it again to prove that the prophecy was being fulfilled. Do you know what happened in 2017? The president of the world's superpower formally ratified that Jerusalem was the capital of the Jews. Regardless of what the United Nations said. Now according to Daniel's prophecy... Daniel said from the issuing of the decree to, for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. Do you know who issued the decree? It was a man called Cyrus, Carus, the king of Persia. The, 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 the man in charge of the superpower of that time. And he wrote something called the Cyrus Cylinder that we've seen in the British Museum. This is archaeology, but it's written in the Bible as well that Jerusalem belongs to the Jews and they can go home, it's their capital. And to the day, 50 years later, the leader of the superpower of the world said exactly the same thing. And so we are now right at the end of the process. I believe we are in the last jubilee, the final 50 years. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be another 50 years. It just means we're in the last stage. So when is this going to be drawn to a close? We don't know. Because we don't know the dates and the times they've been lost throughout history. We don't know exactly the time that this happened. 
Jesus told us we wouldn't know. You don't know the day nor the hour. He says, but you will be able to discern the signs of the times, like looking at the weather. You will know. You will be able to look at Israel. You will be able to look at Jerusalem. You will be able to look at what's happening in the world. Jesus says that a time is coming on the world where people will faint with terror at apprehension about the things that are coming on the world. I believe we are in those times. When I look at what's happening, I, I, I stagger to believe that mankind can be that stupid. But then I read my Bible and realize we are that stupid. They will change the laws of God. We will enter a time of lawlessness where children will turn against their parents, where the very nature of biology will be ignored and people will start saying there's no such thing as male and female, which is how God began his creation in the first place. It's a satanic plan to change the order of God, to change the understanding Because if there's no male or female, then there's no bride to be taken to the bridegroom. And there is no Lord and there is no church because there is no concept of God creating. It's heaven coming to earth. It's man being joined to woman. It's Jesus being joined to his church. It's all part of a satanic lie to manipulate the mind of man. And when the children are taught it, they can't believe this because they have no concept to grasp it. Because they don't even believe the truth of science. So how are they going to believe the truth of prophecy? So we are entering the final stage. And the Jews are the sign of that. Now, when you read the book of Revelation and when you read the the prophecies, not just of Jesus, but of the apocalyptic books, Daniel and Zechariah and many of the ancient writings, you realize that there are, God views history through the lens of Israel. So God says, there are going to be seven empires that arise. You read this in throughout Revelation. The beasts, beast empires. In Daniel's time, there were four to come, so Daniel talks about four beasts. But the, em, the, 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 beast, the beast kingdoms, or the beast empires, aren't just countries they are, they are literally empires, conglomerations of nations that control the nation of Israel. So the first one was Egypt. Egypt controlled Israel. Tried to kill the Jewish children, tried to enslave the Jews, roots of anti-Semitism. All these nations become anti-Semitic, by the way, at some stage. The next one were the Assyrians. The Assyrian Empire that attacked Israel 800 BC carried the nation of Israel into captivity and uh, conquered all of Israel, never captured Jerusalem because of Hezekiah and Isaiah calling out to God. Then after Assyria became the Babylonians, the Neo-Babylonians, not the ancient Babylonians, but then Babylon. And Babylon took the Jews into captivity and persecuted them horrendously, threw, threw them into the fiery furnace and into the... Uh, the dens of lions later and then after the Babylonians came the Persians and Cyrus the Persian actually let the Jews go uh, home to Jerusalem but then um, the Persians became very anti-Semitic you read the book of Esther they were going to wipe the uh, the Jews out at one point kill them all made it actually law to kill all the Jews then after the Persians came the Greeks 
Alexander the Great defeated the Persian, burned Persepolis, the, the Persian capital, to the ground, destroyed Darius, the, the leader at that time of Persia. And uh, the Greeks conquered Israel. And uh, to start with, Alexander was actually quite friendly toward the Jewish nation, gave them freedom of religion. But then his, uh, his kingdom was split into four parts. And this is all prophesied in Daniel, that it will be split into four parts. And Alexander's generals would control Israel, especially two of them, the, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And they would persecute the Jews. And one person in particular, one of Alexander's, one of the Greek Hellenistic leaders, would literally make it illegal to read the Bible. He would make circumcision illegal. He would sacrifice a pig on the altar uh, in Jerusalem. And he would basically drive the Jews out of the, the place that they practiced their religion. That was Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes. Then the Greeks were destroyed by the Romans. And we know the story of the Romans. They were in the time of Jesus. They destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple to the ground and uh, killed the Jews and scattered them to the four winds. And they never returned until the British mandate in 1917. But Daniel said, these empires were all going to come back at the end. There was going to be one system of control one world government we often call it a new world order some people call it uh, Daniel called it or theologians tend to call it Rome part two a world empire coming together whose main purpose is to destroy the Jews people speculate about what this world empire will be some people say it's the United Nations taking over the world, perhaps. Some people say it's the European Union, perhaps. Some people think it's an Islamic confederation that takes over the world, perhaps. And I don't want to speculate what it is, but this, this world empire that's going to come is going to have one main purpose, to get the Jews out of Jerusalem, then to get the Jews out of Israel, then to get them off the planet. Because if there's no Jews, Jesus can't come back. But it's not going to happen. But the Jews are going to go into this horrendous time of persecution. Jesus prophesied this very clearly. He says, I come to you in my father's name. You don't accept me. But one will come in his own name and you will accept him. It's the Antichrist, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. He's going to come and he's going to offer the Jews a covenant. He's going to say, look, you can have the land, you can have Jerusalem, just make a deal with me. And the Jews are so desperate for peace, they're so tired of the walls and all the rockets landing on them. Do you know 400 rockets landed on Israel in the last three days? Did you know that? It, wa it won't get on the news until the Jews retaliate. 400 rockets landed on Israel. 400 rockets. Of schools and neighborhoods and... You know, they're not attacking the military. They just fire them indiscriminately up to Tel Aviv, across to Jerusalem. I've been there. Me and my wife's been there when those rockets were fired. We, we were literally on a spot where a rocket landed two hours after we were there. And when I say on the spot, I mean within five meters. We've got the photos to prove it. Got the photo of us stood there. And then two hours later, we've got the photos of where the rocket landed. And you can see it's the same place. Literally, you can see the pattern on the floor where we were still. But that doesn't, but Israel fire, fire back, kill the leader of Islamic Jihad. That's on the news. Israel's on the news because they don't miss. 
and and when you talk to some people, they this they, they talk as though it's the Jews' fault for existing. If only they'd all been gassed, then they wouldn't be causing all this trouble. As though it's the Jews' fault for existing. No, the issue is God gave a promise to the first Jew. He says, I will bless you and the nations of the world be blessed. And whoever blesses you will be blessed. And whoever curses you will be cursed. And on all nations on earth shall be blessed through you. And he gave a sevenfold promise of a covenant. And he says, as long as the sun and the moon endureth, Israel shall exist as a nation. God said that, not man. So people who want to destroy Israel may as well try and get rid of the sun and moon. It can't be done. Because it is a spiritual truth that God is proving through this process. And so Jesus is going to return at the end of this seven years. But the Antichrist, the leader, we call him the Antichrist, although Revelation doesn't call him the Antichrist. It tends to call him the beast. He's got lots of names in the Bible. The man of sin, the man of lawless, the, the king who exalts himself. He's someone who will, will appear to have all the answers that the world wants. He will promise all prosperity. He will, pro he will solve the economic problem. He will solve the climate problems. He will solve the, the world poverty problems. And he will even appear to be the savior to the Jews. And they'll reach out to him. But he's actually the devil incarnate. He's Satan's man. And he's going to pretend he's the real Messiah. And the Jews will believe in him. And then the temple will be rebuilt. That's the ultimate final sign. But that actually is during the last seven years. It's not before it. So when you see that the temple's about to be rebuilt, remember, when it's, it, 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 it's actually the final stage of the temple is during the last seven years, not before so the preparation for the temple is the sign that we're before the last seven years. You do know that they've already got everything ready to rebuild the temple right now. I don't know if you know that. They've not just got the blueprints. They've got everything prepared. They could, build the re they could rebuild the temple in a matter of months. They're just waiting for, for permission to do it. And given the political climate, that could change like that. They, they could do that at any time. And so what we're seeing is the fulfillment of all these things. And so everything is going to follow these patterns of sevens. Uh, we've followed the pattern of the, the church age. And here's another interesting fact. In the Bible, three times in the Bible, we are told that a day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Now that phrase occurs three times in the Bible. It occurs in Peter's epistles and it occurs twice in the Psalms. Moses himself said that. A thousand years with the Lord, a thousand years a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Now, if you use the Bible's chronology, I'm not talking about evolutionist biology or I'm not suggesting that there might be a history be be before all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about recorded human history from the time of what Bible calls Adam to, the, to our present time in 2019. I'm sure you know Adam almost lived a thousand years. Prehistory. Before the flood of Noah, people lived longer. 
because the climate was different, the biosphere was different, the radiation didn't get through because of a different environmental pressures, everything was different. After the flood, ages came right down to what we would experience more or less now. But before the flood, people lived a lot longer. That's scientifically accurate, by the way. God said, it's interesting that God said, the day you eat of the fruit, you'll surely die. Have you noticed Adam didn't die in a human day? But he did die in a God day. Because a God day is a thousand years. So God was telling the truth. He died just before he was a thousand years old. So he did die in one day, just as God had said. Because God says a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So Adam died after a thousand years, day one. And then you get the stories in Genesis uh, up to the time of Enoch. Enoch was raptured, by the way. By the way, Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. Remember, God is showing us the patterns of sevens. When it hit seven, Enoch was raptured. When it hits the number seven, God takes the church because the church is multiples of seven, the seven churches, seven church ages. The end of the seventh age, God takes to heaven. I find it fascinating how people who read the Bible say they don't believe in the rapture. Well, you need to have a chat with Enoch then because Enoch was raptured. <laughs> and so was Elijah. And so were lots of people in the Bible. And if you, if you believe it, God's going to rapture all these people and then not rapture his church, you're saying he loves his bride less than his mates, his friends. Yes. Mates is an English word for friends. <laughs> Your pals. Forgot I was in America there. Now, I, I, I love some of my friends, but not more than my wife. You know, if I, took, if I took Shane out for a meal every day and never took my wife out for a meal, you would ask some weird questions. <laughs> Why is he always taking him out for a meal and not his wife? Well, if, if God's going to rapture Enoch and Elijah, yeah. he's suggesting he's not going to rapture his bride. Yeah. Yeah, that's, right. that's nonsense. Of course he's going to rapture his bride. He's told us he's going to rapture his bride anyway. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so at the end of day one, you've got Adam and then Enoch is raptured. And then you've got to the, to the end of Noah's life. Is it... Is it to the beginning of Abraham's life. Guess what? That's another thousand years. It's interesting, you know, Abraham from the time of Adam. Do you know the date Abraham was born? If you, if you date from the time of Adam. Now we date from AD. So it's 2019, sort of. Depending on which dating system you're using. If you date from the time of Adam to the time of Abraham. You can work it out following the genealogy. Do you know what day Abraham was born? 1948. From Adam. From the new Adam, Jesus Christ. Do you know when Abraham's children were reborn? 1948. Exactly the same year. Coincidence? I don't think so. And so to the time then, at the end of no, to the time of uh, Abraham, it was another thousand years. He was born in 1948, but at the time of his call, it was about 2,000 years, day two. So then in day three, the next thousand years, are you still all following me? I know I'm giving you lots of dates here. Um, you get the Jewish nation being born through Abraham, day three. And you'll find that from that time, 
right through to uh, the establishment of Israel. Now, the first king to reign in Jerusalem was King David. King David reigned in Jerusalem 1000 BC, almost exactly, actually. So you've got 4,000 years or 3,000 years up to that point completed. Day three fulfilled. When was Jesus born? Exactly 1,000 years after that. Four days. 4,000 years. How long has it been since Jesus was born? Just over 2,000 years. So we have just completed, or we are about to complete, depending on which date you use, and I'm not setting dates, because you could take it from when Jesus died. You could take it either way. But generally speaking, we've completed 6,000 years. On the seventh day, God rests. We're told in Revelation, there is 1,000 years of rest. We call it the millennium. Millennium's just a, the Greek word for a thousand years. Melo annum. It just means a thousand years. Millennium. So some point before the millennium comes in, there has to be 6,000 years and then the 7th thousand year. Guess what? We're at the end of 6,000 years. So when's it going to happen? Pretty soon. I mean, literally, it could be any time. Now, we don't know the exact date, but generally speaking, it's around 6,000 years, give or take, you know, a decade or so. No one knows the exact date. You can't work it out exactly, but you can work it out to the nearest 50 years. And we're in it. We're in the last generation, if God's following the pattern. Now, I can't think why God would change the pattern, because he's always done everything according to the pattern of sevens, from creation to the church age, to Daniel's prophecies, to Jesus' prophecies, even in Revelation. Do you know how many patterns of seven there are in Revelation? You can count at least 250. There's only 22 chapters. And that's the ones you can count. There's lots you can't count because they're inferred. You, you have to look up a word and you'll find out that word happens seven times. So we are at the penultimate stage of human history. And we can see that anyway just by looking at what's happening in the world. Just, just at things like population control, just at things like you know, food supply, water supply. You don't have to get into all the politics of climate change and all that, whether that's real or not. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the tensions and the geopolitical tensions that are happening in the world. The world can't go on. Mankind doesn't work like that. He lashes out. And we have enough strange countries now with nuclear missiles. They press a button. We can destroy the world ten times over. We have enough missiles to blow the earth off its axis. Perhaps that's why when God says this final war happens, it says the earth wobbles on its axis. On its axis. And the seasons change and it says that the sky rolls and the stars fall because perhaps we actually change the orbit of the earth in this final war that's coming. You do know there is a big war coming according to Bible prophecy. A huge war coming. There's a war described in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. We tend to call it the war of Gog and Magog. There's two whole chapters just describing this war. And it says, after this war, there is a seven-year period. 
where they, where they have to decontaminate the entire area. No one's allowed in. Do you know, do you know who's involved in the, in the Battle of Gog and Magog? Now, it uses the ancient terms, the ancient names, like Meshach and Tubal and Rosh and Togomar. And we tend not to know what these ancient names are, but it's not difficult to work out these names. We have enough uh, recordings of antiquity and history that can tell us what these names are. Now, one name that's involved in this war is easy. It's Persia. Now, Persia is Iran. I mean, Iran was even called Persia in my lifetime. I can remember it being called Iran. Persia was called Iran. They changed it when the Ayatollahs took over from the Shahs. Persia. Rosh. Russia. Meshach and Tubal is Turkey. And it says these nations will secretly meet together and devise a plan. God says, I know the plan you're devising. You're devising a plan to invade my nation Israel from the north through Syria. And you will attack Israel in a surprise attack. So we're told, and there's some other nations join in, we're told in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that Russia, Iran and Turkey are going to meet together and plan to attack Israel. Do you know six months ago, Putin, Erdogan of Turkey and the leaders of Iran had a secret meeting about Syria and Israel. And we don't know what they discussed. But we do know they all hate Israel. Iran wants to wipe Israel off the map. Erdogan hates Israel and wants to see them destroyed and establish the Ottoman Empire once again. And Putin will do what's good for Putin. All prophesied in Ezekiel. Is it going to happen? Yes, because it's been prophesied. The Bible seems to indicate the rest of the nations don't care. They just ask a few questions about what's happening, but let them do it. So, that battle, some people think, because there is a seven-year period after the battle, according to Ezekiel, uh, some people think that is the battle that inaugurates the final seven years. If that's true, we know that those armies and nations are amassing in Syria right now. Turkey invaded two weeks ago. The uh, Iranian uh, Republican Guard, they've already got their people there. And Russia's already planning to do something in Syria. It's moved in a long time ago. So we're seeing the stage being set militarily. We're seeing the world being set according to all the prophetic statements. And according to all the patterns of the Bible, we are now entering that stage, that phase Prophetically, Israel, everything has been fulfilled except the temple being rebuilt. Everything else has been fulfilled. But, but of course, the temple is rebuilt in the last seven years. Not before it. Or it might be built before it, but Antichrist seats himself in it in the middle of the seven years. That's when he claims to be God and demands to be worshipped and uses the mark of the beast, forces everyone to worship him. So, that's where we are. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. 
If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.